Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of the Georgia Music Teachers Association podcast. My name is Bebe Lin, Vice President of Membership with GMTA. If you are interested in learning more about our organization, please go to georgiamta.org. Today, we are joined by Pam Asbury. Hello, Pam. Hi, baby. It's great to be here. Let's get started with, tell me about what you do and how you got to where you are today. Well, um, I am a piano teacher who wears lots of different hats. I started playing the piano when I was seven years old and I never looked back. Today, I am a teacher. I'm in Lawrenceville, Georgia, with about 40 students on my fall schedule. I work as a church musician at a Lutheran church in Lawrenceville, and I am also a composer and performing pianist. So um, lots of different hats. How did you get started with piano? Was it your idea or was it your parents' idea or was it both? Uh, It was actually my maternal grandmother's idea. She bought me my very first piano for my seventh birthday. Her dream for me was to be a a gospel pianist. Uh, She wanted me to be (laughs) uh, like the fellow who played piano at our church where I grew up. He totally played by ear, improvised, you know, all the big sweeping arpeggios and all that. He was phenomenal. But then my parents hired me a classical, classically trained piano teacher. So there was kind of a big disconnect between what my grandmother wanted for me and the training that I received and where I ended up. But I think it all turned out just fine. Did you major in music when you went to college? I did. Uh, I actually went to school on a clarinet scholarship, but my underhanded ambition was to be a piano major. And I was actually a piano performance pedagogy major and got my master's degree in piano performance. Wonderful. I want to ask you about your schedule. It sounds like you have a very full schedule. How do you stay sane? (laughs) Um, Well, I'm People who know me well probably wouldn't uh, necessarily attest that I am totally sane. I, I'm a little crazy most of the time. I am single. Uh, my children are all grown. I think that that helps. And I will also admit to being very, very organized. Uh, I really, I really have to be in order to get everything that I need to do done in a day. So um, I, honestly, I love what I'm doing. I. I wouldn't want to give any aspect of my musical life up. So um, I just managed to make it work. Mm. Earlier, we touched on the fact that you majored in music in college. So why are you a musician and a teacher? Was there someone who was particularly influential in guiding you to this path? Yeah, that's a really good question. Honestly, uh, I had have a vague recollection of my first piano lesson. Uh, My first teacher's name was uh, Linda McKinney, uh, and I have since tracked her down. Um, She's still teaching out in Pennsylvania, which is which is really cool. And I was really happy to find her and to be able to thank her for um, getting me off to such a good start. But I had that first piano lesson and I just loved it. And I loved Miss McKinney. And I told my mom and dad that I was going to be a piano teacher when I grew up. 
And I, I'm sure they thought that was really cute. And, and most kids say things like that, you know, I want to be a fireman or whatever, and it doesn't happen. But I, I really knew when I was seven years old that I wanted to be a piano teacher when I grew up. And so I thank Miss McKinney for that. And although my path has gone off in many other different directions, coincidentally, teaching is really, you know, at, at the root of it all, at the heart of it all. What are some challenges you have encountered as a musician? Um, I guess kind of the biggest challenge is just making it work from a financial point of view. I was, I've been divorced for about 20 years and I raised three kids on a musician's salary. You know, any of us who, who do this for a living know that the arts is perhaps one of the least rewarded fields overall. COVID for sure made those challenges even, even greater. But I, I've always kind of believed that if, if, if your heart's in the right place, you'll find a way to, to make it work. And for me, it just wasn't a choice. You know, my dad thought maybe I should, should pursue engineering because he was an engineer. And my mom thought nursing would be a great field for me. And my high school accounting teacher thought I would make a fantastic accountant, but you know, my passion was music. And so I, I've managed to make it work. You know, as you talk a little more about your life and the details come to the forefront, it's really making me realize that it, you really do have a lot on your plate. And um, maybe even earlier in your life, handling three kids and um, a teaching schedule and a playing schedule. Can you unpack that a little more for our listeners in terms of how you find the balance in your life um, between taking care of family and maintaining a professional life? Honestly, I don't think today I probably do have a very good balance between personal and professional life. I mean, um, music really is my life. And I think that's, you know, a slogan on a t-shirt, but that's, that's really true uh, in my case. When my kids were growing up, it was different. Um, and I wasn't doing all the things that I'm doing right now. And honestly, teaching was, was a great career for me because it allowed me to be home with my kids. I actually homeschooled them for the most part. And so, you know, we had our time together during the day. And then after school, I, I started working. And, and in those days, I wasn't doing all the other things that I'm doing now. I didn't have the church job and I, I wasn't writing music. So um, it, it, actually, it actually worked out really, really, really well. Did you teach your kids piano? Ha, I tried. Uh, I honestly would not recommend that one teach one's own children piano. Uh, the, the reason being that I was much stricter with my own children than I am with my piano students in terms of expectations. Um, you know, and I, I knew for a fact how little they might have practiced in any given week. And I, I didn't cut them very much slack. So looking back on that, I really wish that I had relegated that responsibility to someone else. But 
I tried. And honestly, my young, my oldest did not want to have anything to do with piano ever. He had one piano lesson and he was like, this is not for me. The other two do still play a little bit and they both played the violin and my youngest plays the guitar too. So, so maybe I, maybe I didn't fail them completely. They, they do have a love for music and, and they do still play a little bit. Let's turn our attention to teaching. How do you approach teaching? What is your teaching philosophy? I tend to attract just your, your average student, not that, that anyone is average. I'm not that teacher who, who turns out uh, students who win competitions and, and major awards, but all of my students are solid and I do have high expectations for them. But um, my, my philosophy is any student with a desire to learn music can, can learn music and can achieve a level of proficiency. And for me, that means meeting them where they are. I, for sure, I have some students who are interested in classical music and they, they go to uh, auditions and, and things like that. I have some students who are interested in composing, but then I also have those kids who, they just want to play the videos they see on YouTube. They want to play pop stuff. And, and honestly, I don't care what they play as long as they play. Um, and my goal for them is to be lifelong players and lifelong lovers of music. And, and it's all real satisfying to me and makes my job very challenging, but also very interesting. I learn a lot from my students. You talk about your goal for your students is to nurture lifelong learning in them. How do you set goals for yourself? You mean as a, as a player? Yeah, as a player, as a teacher, as a professional, as a human being. Oh, well, I'm very uh, goal-oriented. I'm one of those people that has my my 10-year list of goals, my five-year list of goals, my one-year list of goals. I'm a compulsive list maker. Um, I, I have a list of everything I want to accomplish ever and then uh, make myself a daily schedule and try to knock as many of those things off the list as I can. So, but you know, those goals are flexible and for sure over time, my goals have changed. It's, it's constantly in a state of flux and I try to be open to opportunities as they arrive. Um, and sometimes I, f I, I find that the goal that I had set maybe wasn't actually where I needed to be headed and something will happen and make that really clear to me. So then I have to change course. So I, I always have goals in mind, but I'm open to possibilities too. I think that's really important. What would you say is the balance between talent and work ethic when it comes to determining success in a student? Well, I, I believe that everyone has talent and I believe that hard work, that having a work ethic is ultimately more important than talent. Um, and I, I think I'm a case in point. Uh, I, honestly, I don't think I am particularly talented in any area. You know, the little John Thompson book, I, I can remember as a beginner, 
just really struggling with the song of the Volga Boatman. I, I just couldn't get the hang of that rhythm. <clears throat> and you know, there's really, <laughs> that's a pretty simple little piece, but I was required to practice as a child for sure. I'm grateful for that, but I also just kind of have this innate stick-to-itiveness quality. If I make up my mind, I'm gonna do something, I don't give up until I do it. Um, and so based on my own experience, I think if you're willing to work hard, you can overcome any kind of lack of natural ability that you might have. And the flip side to that is I think there are people who are incredibly talented who kind of coast, coast along on that. And ultimately that's not gonna get them very far. That's my opinion. <laughs> How do you approach a non-practicing student? Do you have any strategies to encourage them to, uh, to practice? I guess, you know, that's just the universal question. And as long as I can find the right materials to motivate my students, the hope is that that will be enough to get them to the piano. But sometimes that fails, you know. I can do just the very best job I can do. I can ask them for feedback. You know, they give me suggestions. I provide what they're asking for. And, and sometimes it just happens that other things ultimately are more important to that student at that time in their life. And no matter what I do, piano is gonna, gonna take the back seat. And I've had ex the experience where I might lose a student like that. And then a year or two later, they, they come back because they find that they miss it. And you know that's just an opportunity to, to talk about that. The big excuse that we all get is, you know, they're busy. I'm busy. I was too busy. And I just shoot back with, well, you know what? You're not any busier than I am. And I find time to practice. So, and I, I wish I had a mom who would cook me dinner and make me sit at the piano for 30 minutes. So um, it's just a matter of prioritizing. And I, I think it's for some kids at some point, Piano's just not the priority, and then we just have to kind of let it go, at least for that time in their life. I heard from someone recently um, that uh, someone had given them the excuse that they're too busy, and so this person said, hand me your phone, let me check out your screen time, and the person was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe not, <laughs> maybe not so busy. Yeah, the other one that I ask is when they tell me how busy they were, I say, well, did you find time to play video games last week? How much television did you watch last week? And they, they, they sort of hang their heads in shame because they know, they know the truth. Sure. What advice do you have for parents who have children taking lessons? How can they encourage and help them to succeed? I, I think it's just really important for the parents to be involved on some level. I don't require parents to come to lessons with uh, with my students. Um, I don't require parents to supervise practice, but I do think it's important for them to be involved, um, to check in, to look at the assignment books, to ask the kids about what they're playing, to listen to them once or twice a week. A little bit of that really goes, goes a long way. Do you have any musical or pedagogical projects you are currently working on? I have so many projects that I am working on. Um, so I, 
in, in addition to the teaching and the church job and, and the, the composing, uh, I also do a little bit of, of speaking. Um, so right now, some of the things I'm working on are a project on creativity. I'm trying to encourage other teachers to explore their own creative sides that might have been neglected over the years, raising their families and taking care of their students and, you know, taking care of everybody but themselves. Um, I'm actually presenting that program at the state conference in November. I'm excited about that. I was awarded an MTNA teacher enrichment grant for a composition project that I'll be working on between now and the end of the year. It's uh, actually a two piano uh, Rhapsody, and I'm very excited about getting started on that. And uh, I just got back from a recording session in Sedona, Arizona. I recorded three new solo piano albums, number seven, eight, and nine. So I'll be releasing those over the next 12 months. And I'm really excited about getting that music out into the world. So lots and lots of things, lots of ideas. Uh, I, won't, I won't live long enough to see them all to fruition, but I, I love trying. Let's talk about composing. Um, it seems like you do a fair bit of that. Tell me about your process and maybe back up a little bit and tell us about your training and preparation. How can someone who is interested in composing prepare themselves? Um, well, I'm probably not the best person to ask that question because all I can really speak to is my own experience. I never had a composition class in college, never thought I had the ability to, to write music. And I actually was known to say, I don't have a creative bone in my body. I don't write music. I just play other people's music. But I hung around with a lot of neoclassical solo piano artists. And I guess over time, some of their fairy dust just kind of sprinkled onto me. And I, I was out for a walk uh, one day in early 2017 and this little melody just popped into my head and I sang it into my iPhone. And long story short, about a month later, I had a finished composition. And six months from then, I had my first solo piano album. So I don't really know where any of this came from. But once, once the floodgates were open, it was like, that's just all I want to do now. And I think just from having played so much great literature over the years, studied so much great literature, I just, I sort of have a you know, an intuitive understanding of musical form and so on. And so that's really, really how it got started. And for me, the, I, I, I get ideas, I'll get a melody, I'll have a chord progression, I'll tinker around with that. And once I attach a title to the music, I have to have a title, I have to know what the music's about then it's, it's, it's not too hard to finish the piece. So, but it's funny cause I also have the experience when I'm playing the music two weeks later, I, I sort of have no recollection of writing it. I, it, it's really kind of mystical. Like it comes from somewhere outside of me. And I know that sounds really crazy but that's really been my experience. <laughs> When you write, is there an editing process that comes along with that? Uh, how does that work? Or do you just um, regurgitate what is inside your head and that's it? That's 
basically the final product? Really the latter. I am not very skilled at improvising to this day. You know, I can, um, but my music is not improvisational. It's very melodic. It's very, very much crafted. So I might labor over a phrase for a long time, but once it's done, it's done uh, for the most part. I really, once a piece is finished, there's usually very little editing that takes, takes place. And I, I do write with manuscript paper and a pencil, and then I, I put it into, uh, into software. I'm not, I don't, some people I know they play on a keyboard and it, but I, I, I craft it with pencil and paper very painstakingly, so. Yeah, do you have uh, these compositions and arrangements available um, in PDF form or do you create these just for yourself to record later? No, um, both. I, I have the, the re released recordings and then um, I also have PDFs, sheet music available both in like single single sheets and also in in songbook form for those that are released in an album and I, I guess it's okay for me to share one of my pieces uh, was picked up by the Federation and I'm not supposed to say what level it is because that's copyrighted information but it's it's kind of a fun fun little piece that I wrote called Flamingo Walk um, and that's in the new Federation bulletin so that's cool to think about students playing my piece, you know, and, and getting their ratings from the judge. Yeah, that is fun. Congratulations on that Thanks. achievement. Do you have any books about music or teaching that you can recommend? There are so many books that I could, could recommend on teaching. And, and I expect anybody listening to this podcast knows all the great pedagogical books that are, that are out there. As I mentioned earlier, right now, my passion is kind of encouraging others to explore their creative selves. And so one book that I really recommend that everybody read at least once a year, The War of Art uh, by Stephen Pressfield. And it just talks about the, the inner battle that we all fight against tapping into our creative sides. And, you know, I think as teachers, as performers, in whatever other areas that our art might veer into, um, we're all creative. Teaching demands an extraordinary amount of, of creativity. And this book is just, I find it, every, every time I read it, I just find it to be really challenging and really inspiring. And I, I just, if, if you haven't read it, read it. It's a great book. The War of Art. The War of Art. And it's a quick read too. You know, you could read it in an evening, but it's just packed. It's great. Okay, great. Thank you for that. I'll have to look into it. Do you have passions and hobbies outside of music and teaching? Well, I do. I, I make jewelry. I find that playing with, with beads and colors and, and metals just kind of opens up some area of creativity somewhere else and the two things kind of feed off of each other. I knit rectangles. I'm not a very good knitter but I can knit a mean scarf. I find that to be very almost meditative and relaxing. I walk. I'm a walker. 
I get a lot of ideas when I'm out walking, like my first song. And I'm a, I'm an avid reader. I read a little bit of everything from fiction to, you know, inspiring books like The War of Art. And of course, biographies of musicians. And so, yeah, I, I never, uh, oh, and I'm a gardener now. I have a little garden. I'm growing herbs and tomatoes and flowers and yeah. So I just, I've always got my hands into something. It's, I, I don't sit still. If I can ask a follow-up question about walking and finding inspiration while you're walking, do you find that when you go on your walks, are you usually listening to something or are you just listening to the sounds of nature? Yeah, I never listen to anything. I, I don't use, I don't listen to music or anything like I would find that to be very distracting. So yeah, I, I like to be tuned into the sounds around me. It's, it's kind of a John Cage experience sometime, sometimes. And, uh, and I do come up with musical ideas when I'm out walking. And if I were listening to something you know, I've thought that would be a really good time to listen to a book, you know, that would be make that time doubly productive, but I feel like that would block out some of those opportunities for creative things to happen. So for me, no, it's just, it's just me and, and the birds out there. I've wondered about that, um, about our modern society, how we're always so connected and everything is so convenient, especially with these ear pods that everyone is listening to, that um, anytime they go anywhere, taking a walk, going to the grocery store, I know I, I am certainly guilty of this. There is constantly sound and organized sound in our ears that I, I wondered if it blocks out a lot of creative moments and possibilities for people because their brain is just so occupied by organized sound already. Yeah, I think it might. And, you know, follow up on that. I honestly... I don't, there is not noise in my background ever, you know, growing up, our TV was on 24 seven, it was on all the time. And I know some people fall asleep <laughs> with the television on, but, you know, for me, watching TV or listening to music is a very active pursuit. Um, if I'm listening to music, I've got headphones, and I'm focusing on that music. It's not just in the background. And I, I don't really like any kind of sound in the background. Maybe it's partly because I'm so bombarded with sound all day long. You know, it's my students or it's myself at the piano, but I'm not, I don't listen to anything passively. I just don't care to. And I, I think that does keep the creative opportunities more available to me. What aspects of your life and career as a musician has surprised you? How does it measure up to the life you envisioned for yourself as a young musician? You know, I think for a long time, I was really walking down the path that I, that I had chosen. And, and there really weren't many surprises. It, it wasn't really until the past four or so years, I, I released my first album in 2017. That's a turn that I really did not expect my life to take. If you had told me 10 years ago that I would be doing these things, I would have laughed at you. I would have said, no, that's, you're, you're joking, you're, you're crazy. But, um, but it's a very happy surprise. And 
you know, I will confess when I started this, my genre is referred to as new age or neoclassical. And I was a little bit concerned about how my colleagues would respond to that, um, you know, because that's not real music. That's not Beethoven or, or Chopin. And I, I am happy to say that my colleagues across the state, across the country, everyone has been so supportive of, of my journey and so receptive to my music. And that's been, that's been really, really gratifying too. And so, you know, anybody who might be listening to this, thank you, thank you for your support because it's, it's really meant a lot to me. That's awesome. Really makes me curious about checking your music out. I confess I haven't yet, but I definitely will after this interview. What advice would you give to young pre-collegiate musicians about a life with music? Okay, well, this may not be what anyone would expect me to say, but I will say, and I do say this to my students, I, I might have a student who, who is a senior and they're kind of on the fence about where they wanna, wanna head career-wise. You know, I can't decide if I wanna be a music major or if I want to do pre-med. And I tell them, well, unless music is your passion and you cannot imagine yourself being happy doing anything else, then I would not encourage you to pursue that as a career because it is a very, very hard path. And it's harder now than it was when I was starting out. You know, it's, it's fiercely competitive. There's so many gifted and talented young people out there. And so, you know, I say, go ahead and become a doctor. And then remember your old piano teacher when you're, when you're ready to share endowments. Um, I mean, but all kidding aside, uh, and that doesn't mean that they couldn't pursue a minor in music or, you know, continue to play in, in the band or the orchestra or, or whatever. But honestly, that would be my honest advice. And I think people advised me that way as well. For me, it was a passion. I, I wouldn't have been happy pursuing any other career path. And I think if that is your, your choice and your passion that you'll find a way to make it work. Well, thank you, Pam. Thank you for uh, your insights. Thank you for your time. And thank you for chatting with me today. This was a fun conversation and it was fun listening to your wealth of experience. I wish you happy teaching and happy students. <laughs>